The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We get a road win. We get an all-pro. We get a bye to rest up. So many good things. We deserve good things. This week on Pod Like a Raven. I was going to do an intro saying that the Ravens got all these positive things. And then I had to scratch it and start over again because... We got all these things, and we deserve all these things because we've had to deal with so much stress with this team, so many injury situations, so many Harbaugh quotes that make no sense and offer no context. And now we have some positive things, some fun things to go over. I'm Antonio Barbera. I'm excited to talk about a primetime win on the road, a big-time addition that has already paid dividends, and a bye, where we can just kind of settle down, get players healthy, and go on that that Super Bowl run. Just that. Let me bring in my co-hosts now to help me break all this stuff down, starting on the East Coast. Tim Horsey. Tim, how are you? This is probably the best I've been on this podcast this season. A complete victory. A defensive masterpiece. The best linebacker since Ray Lewis is in the building. Like, are you kidding me? That... Everything that I wanted to see from the Ravens, I saw on Monday night, and now I get to talk about it with you fine gentlemen. I am probably for the first time since the season started, happy to be here. Like, legitimately happy to be here. So, yeah, it's, it's great, Antonio. Thanks for having me, man. And on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, for you, these games, the, the night games are 5 o'clock in the evening, so I guess you don't get into, like, midnight finishes, but still a thrilling, a thrilling primetime win for the Ravens. Oh, it was fantastic. And the, the nice thing about these games starting at five, Antonio, is it's it's just, you get you get basically a whole evening to just lay out and enjoy it. You know, it ends at like 8.30, basically. And then I'm just watching SVP, just all the hits about, all they keep coming back and talking about the game. And you're just watching that and savoring it. And 
Yeah, as Tim said, I mean, six and three feels so much better than five and four. It's only a one win difference, but it it you feels like you know you have double the amount of wins. You feel like you're in such a better place. The buy is at a perfect time, and yeah, I'm with Tim. That was the Ravens' most complete game of the season, I think. Certainly, um, the most satisfying win, uh, the least stressful win, I would say, maybe this side of the opener against the Jets. But um, there was just a lot of encouraging things and. To, especially, I think to, you were a little shorthanded into the bye, riding high, um, and on Monday Night Football. Yeah, it was just a really good feeling. It was a good feeling. It's always fun when your team wins in prime time, and you know people talk about them a little bit. Even though I know we would love people to pay as little attention to the Ravens outside of this program as possible uh, for the hype and stuff. But yeah, it, it was a really fun night, and uh, yeah, I've been feeling great <laughs> since the final whistle. I caught some of those SVP hits that you were talking about. He is bullish uh, on the Ravens. He was almost, like, excited talking about it, and he kept interviewing, or I guess turning to Buck and Aikman, and they kept kind of, like, pumping the brakes on his excitement, and then they'd go back to him, and he would try him again with something else exciting. He is all in on this Ravens team. Uh, we're, we're, we're fairly in on this Ravens team after seeing, finally... Uh, a strong performance on both sides of the ball in a tough road environment. And we are going to talk about that game in a minute. But first, we have to talk about something that we really have been talking about for weeks. Dare I say months here on Pod Like a Raven. Raven, We pleaded all season. We even talked about it in the off season, Asking for that team shifting, that energy shifting, morale boosting, momentum, whatever trade or acquisition that was going to turn the tide for the season, turn either the offense or defense's talent just up a notch. We joked multiple times about this specific player joining the Ravens for that specific draft pick. And it actually happened a couple of days before the end of the trade deadline. And that's Roquan Smith joining the Baltimore Ravens, traded from the Bears, for a second-round pick, a fifth-round pick, and LOL AJ Klein, who the Ravens had picked up, I think, a week before that uh, as a free agent. It's been talked about, you know, because it's been it's been about a week now since the trade happened, but we have to talk about it. We have to discuss it. We made the joke, Roquan, for a second. That was a line that we used multiple times this offseason and season, and, and it actually happened. We spoke on our previous podcast about whether the Ravens would make a trade or not, whether they were going to be splashy. And I think all three of us kind of ended up with the joke of like, no, it's not going to happen. Would love it. It's not going to happen. Not this team, not this franchise, but they did do it. They see a window guys. They want an all pro and they got it in Roquan Smith. I'm going to turn to Tim, our, our, uh, our defensive specialist, um, because you deserve this, Tim, more <laughs> so than the rest of us. You deserve it. And it happened. I'm happy for us. I'm happy for you. Uh, gr- grade this trade for us. Oh, A plus plus plus. I'm I'm legitimately welling up. Like this is not even a joke. <laughs> I have tears in my eyes thinking about Roquan Smith on this Ravens team. I watched him pretty much exclusively when the Ravens were on the defensive side of the ball on Monday night, and uh, it's pretty cool to have a great middle linebacker, guys. Pretty pretty cool to have an All Pro. In there making plays. Um, You talk about the two stuffs of Alvin Kamara early in the game. The third down one where, my lord, he just stands him up and (laughs) just 
pushes him back. Late in the game, it's a third and two, and Kamara, who is one of the shiftiest, you know, slippery is probably the best word for Kamara. Like, he's he kind of like Lamar, just maybe not the fastest guy, but gets out of everything. It's a third down. He gets it. Looks like he has Roquan beat. Roquan says, nah, dude. Grabs him by the ankles, makes a crucial tackle on, uh, to make it like a two-yard gain on a third and five or six or something. The guy blitz packages, stuffing the run, playing pass coverage. Um, we talk about Lamar Jackson, and I try and be reasonable about the deal and say something to the effect of, you know, look, you can't pay him the fully guaranteed money, and you, you, we really got to make sure that we don't. he doesn't take up a large portion of the cap. You got to keep him around, but let's really negotiate. Pay Roquan Smith whatever he wants. I don't care. You give him keys to the capital. Uh, 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 give him keys to the city, excuse me, of Baltimore. Give him keys to Jimmy Seafood. Like, he could just own Jimmy Seafood now. He can have it for free. That's his. I want this guy on my football team for the rest of his football career. $20 million a year for an off-ball linebacker? I don't care. Fine. Just give him all of it. Uh, it was, you know, we'll talk about the game more later, but I saw the trade come through, and I'm kind of seeing the notes here. Obviously, this is the end of his deal. It could be a rental, but, you know, the compensatory pick, basically, if you don't know, if you lose a premier free agent, the following year you get a draft pick uh, if based on how valuable that guy is and if you don't sign anybody of equal value, what have you, yada, yada, yada. It's, uh, it's a whole complicated formula. The thinking here is that the Ravens give up a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick. They don't have to pay any money against the salary cap. Chicago's picking all of it up. That's why um, you know the second-round pick was in play. It would have been a third-round pick if the Ravens picked up more of it. And the thought process is, oh, well, it can be a rental, and then they'll most likely get a third-round pick in 2024. No, no, screw that. This guy needs to be on this football team for at least five or six more years because what he does and what he impacts on that defensive side of the ball, we saw it last night. Um, and we'll get – obviously, I don't want to, you know, spill into our recap quite yet because I want you guys to have your say on Roquan Smith. But that was the small sample size of a game changer that that guy can be. I don't, I don't give a toss that he plays a non-premium position, a non-left tackle, wide receiver, quarterback – that guy helped change that defense last night. And what you saw, a lot of that comes down to having a man in the middle like that who, by the way, doesn't even know the full playbook yet. That's why he wasn't out there on the two-minute drill when Patrick Queen was out there. It was one of the only times the Saints did anything. Roquan wasn't out there. Wait till he gets the full grasp of the playbook. Wait till he gets the green dot. Wait till he's the leader of this defense calling plays. Are the Ravens back? Like, are the, is the defensive Ravens back? I think they're back, guys. And a lot of it comes down to Roquan Smith. Well, and, and Tim, it's interesting. So you say, like, obviously, in modern NFL, uh, off-ball linebackers not considered a premium position for most teams. I think I'd argue that the Ravens do view it as a premium position. I hope so, and, man. God, I hope and, so. And, and I think, like, that's why they make this move, because I agree. It's not the worst, the end of the world. Uh, if he doesn't resign, especially if they win the Super Bowl. Uh, but um, if if uh, you know if he does resign, I, I think I'm fine with them. You know, kind of giving him basically the contract that they decided to not give C.J. Mosley um, because we saw like the wilderness they entered at linebacker without a player like that. It's an important 
position for this team. And Roquan, he's 25 years old. He's the NFL's leading tackler currently. He can rush the passer. It's not even in the prime of his career yet, Jace. (laughs) We're not even there yet. And the man is a two, what, all pro already. Like you said, Lee, oh, oh, it's so good. Multiple interceptions this season. He, He could really do it all. And for me, just... Watching that Monday night game, it was an example, like, even as you said, in that small sample, you saw, like, what he brings to the table that the Ravens just didn't have, like, compared to a guy like Patrick Quinn. You know, the instincts are better, the body's better, the tackling form is better, he drags Alvin Kamara down in space at one point. Uh, It's just, he does everything better (laughs) compared to anyone the Ravens had uh, at middle linebacker. And, And it's really exciting to... To see them uh, take a, a swing like that. Now, obviously, there's the argument uh, that we could, I'm sure, we'll discuss here in a moment uh, that they didn't acquire a receiver. Uh, Don't care. Pertinent news uh, when you announce a day later after acquiring Rokon Smith that your number one receiver is out for the season. Uh, so there's that. But I still think I'm very big, and I personally am very high on this move because I'm with you. Like watching that game last night, it, like you know, could the offense be better? Sure, we'll get into that in a moment. <laughs> but in last night's game is like everything I want the Ravens a Ravens game to be, basically. And, you know, will we win in January? Who's to say? But we got to play 17 of these first. And, you know, if all 17 are close to what we saw Monday night, it's going to be a really fun season and really fun to watch. So I was just really encouraged with his first game. And I really like the trade in general just because I think he just brings so much. And it is a big splash that, you know, we haven't really made – Certainly in season since Marcus Peters. You know what gives you uh, a better chance to win in January? An elite defense that can slow down these offenses. And Roquan Smith brings that. I just want to say, you know, I don't want to take all the mic time. Um, I can't believe I actually welled up, too. That's not even a joke. Like, I was I was tearing up about <laughs> Roquan Smith. I think it helps Patrick Queen, too. Much maligned, probably overly criticized on this podcast. And, and, and across Ravens, you know, Twitter, Ravens fandom, what have you. There's a lot of... <laughs> rightly so, and maybe some heat of the moment stuff during a game. Get him out of here. I can't stand this guy. Yada, yada, yada. Bust, bust, bust. And look, he hasn't lived up to expectations. I think anybody even reasonably would say that. This frees him up to do what he does best. You have a man that can control the middle of the field in Roquan Smith. He can do it all. You know what you need to be? A piss missile. Going after the quarterback, firing through lanes, disrupting plays, and, and and using your athleticism to the best of your ability without having to worry about commanding the defense at an elite level. I love Patrick Queen next to Roquan Smith. I don't love Patrick Queen there by himself, but when you put those two together, look, for as much stick as he gets, that's an elite unit there in the middle of that defense. And, and think about this defense now. Think about this defense. Ajabo's coming back. Tyus Bowser's there. Matt Abike is playing at a Pro Bowl level. Calais Campbell is still Calais Campbell. Jason Pierre-Paul. Justin Houston, who we will get to. That's just your defensive line. Then you have Patrick Queen. You have uh, Roquan Smith. And then in the secondary, coming back in December, you've got Marcus Williams. You've got Kyle Hamilton, the first-round rookie, starting to make some plays. You have all pros on either side, Ed Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. Chuck Clark, good guy. Solid player. Like, what? The possibilities are endless with this defense, and they're finally figuring out McDonald's scheme as well. I always want to say Mike McDaniel, by the way, which is insulting (laughs) to Mike McDonald. I know. Apologies. They're finally kind of figuring out Mike McDonald's scheme and adding – we talked about Lamar Jackson like this last week. Adding 
the queen chess piece and not Patrick, but Roquan Smith as the queen chess piece into a defense and just saying, McDonald, that guy in the middle can do everything. You want him to blitz? He can blitz. You want him to cover? He can cover. You want him to go one-on-one with an Alvin Kamara, the shiftiest running back in the National Football League? He can do that too and limit the guy to 30 yards rushing. You add all the defensive talent and then put in trade for immediately, bar none, the best player on that defensive unit that was already relatively talented. It's exciting, man. It's really exciting. And it's it's what's needed to go up against the Bills and the Chiefs and what have you in this AFC. Look out for that Ravens defense in January because they're going to be fast. They're going to be mean. They're going to be aggressive and hopefully disciplined. But that's not always a thing that happens. <laughs> The only thing I'm going to add here to sort of tie a bow on this is he did not, Roquan Smith did not replace Patrick Queen. He replaced Josh Bynes, the 33-year-old journeyman linebacker who was on the Ravens for his third different stint. It's just going to elevate everybody around him while also putting a two-time All-Pro just into the middle of the field. I like this so much. Uh, I would like to sign him. I'm not convinced, Tim, that they are going to sign him. You get a free tryout. Get a, you know, get a free three-month, two-month tryout with this player. Um, even if we don't, I still think it's a good value given the financial situation. And if we do re-sign him, we have a 25-year-old All-Pro in the middle of the field for the next five seasons, and it'd be Curious to see what you could do with Patrick Queen, given that he has not had the greatest career thus far on a rookie deal. Maybe you can make them both fit in at different numbers, but that is obviously for the future. Just quickly For now, this defense is scary. Sorry, Antonio. I just want to put this out there. I'm fully convinced they're not re-signing him because Eric DaCosta loves draft picks and compensatory picks, and he's going to break my heart. Like, by the way, Roquan Smith <laughs> represents himself to the two most important players you need to sign in the offseason, represent, represent themselves and Lamar Jackson and Roquan Smith. I, I am fully convinced this is a rental, and I'm just going to try and enjoy it while I can. But please, I'm begging you. I'm at the point right now, and I know this is crazy, and I don't, I don't care – and people are going to be like, you're, you're nuts, and the legitimacy of this podcast has completely been ruined by the, the crazy man who keeps hogging the microphone. I almost prefer them to sign Roquan Smith to Lamar Jackson. Like, I'm almost there. Oh, I'm almost there because watching him play defense is just, oh, it's so good for my heart. It just feels great. Like, I, I wasn't str- – I, I mean, I was a little bit stressed. I'm always stressed during Ravens games. But watching that defense and that man in the middle was just, you know – Obviously, a bit of hyperbole, but like, <laughs> I'm could because I want it so bad. I know they're not going to do it because this team constantly <laughs> loves to let me down. But I just, uh, I need you know maybe change the 18 when Michael Pierce leaves. Maybe let's go back to the 58. That'd be a good idea. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I need some Roquan Smith in my life, and and God willing, you know, I don't even care if it drops the day after we record this podcast, and and then like it, this whole conversation is stale. They just like, oh, yeah, just signed Roquan Smith to the best middle linebacker deal in franchise or in uh, NFL history. Don't care. Fine. It's going to be wrecking your cap for the next seven years. Don't care. Fine. <laughs> Roquan Smith is here, and that's all I want. I, I, I sound like every Lamar stan with Roquan Smith, and frankly, I don't care because that's how badly I want him to remain in a Ravens uniform. Yeah, I, I would do the, like, uh, crowdsource – uh, GoFundMe, let's get Tim Roquan, Roquan Smith's jersey. 
but Michael Pierce wearing a linebacker number, and then Roquan wearing Brashad Perriman's graveyard <laughs> number. It's, just, it's 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 frustrating for now, but we'll see we'll see if that can if that can change uh, over the next year or so. And then I will bring up the crowdsource uh, GoFundMe what <laughs> bluff financial blah blah blah. Yeah, that's good. The Bateman news that Jace mentioned, not so good. Uh, not not a lot of replacements on the horizon. Um, Except for more tight ends, I guess. that That's what this team is going to do. They activated Charlie Kolar, uh, the rookie who had been sidelined with, I believe, a sports hernia injury for months. Um, we have seen nothing of him, really. We have no <laughs> idea what to expect. It would be hysterical to me if he's also just a very good, young, athletic, pass-catching tight end. And then one of them will just play on the outside because the wide receiver room uh, is tough at this point. We will talk about Deshaun Jackson's uh, performance and impact on this team so far, but trade deadline's up, so no more maneuvering for wide receivers unless you can convince uh, OBJ to be the final piece to come because uh, he's a free agent. Don't expect that, but a lot of moving pieces uh, before we hit the bye here, so let's talk now about the actual performance on the football field where the Ravens won 27-13 against the Saints in New Orleans at night in the Dome in a game that wasn't really close from start to finish. Uh, a statement performance by the defense. We've touched on it a little bit already with the Roquan addition, but the 13 points is almost is, is generous to the Saints in terms of how they were able to move the ball uh, up and down the field because they didn't really for the first several drives were only able to tack on a couple of field goals here and there and then had the most frustrating uh, fourth quarter touchdown where the Ravens just decided not, to, literally decided not to tackle um, while a play was still going on. But for the majority of this performance defensively, it took half the season. It took adding an all-pro, but this defense suddenly looks deep, fast, aggressive. They're getting pressure with four or five they don't have to blitz 18 players on every down with guys running up from the sidelines to blitz as well because 11's not enough, not enough blitzers. They're rotating these veteran pass rushers and putting them in the best position to succeed without tiring themselves out or getting injured. They're covering well in the back end. They don't even have Marcus Williams. Break down this defensive performance for me, for, for me guys. I mean, granted, it was, it was old man Andy, Andy Dalton. Uh, whose hair looks, boy, as as luminous, as ginger as ever. That hair's not getting gray. It's getting more uh, highlighter orange. He's obviously not great. He missed some throws. He's not near what he was in his prime. The Saints offense didn't have their top wide receivers. They still had Kamara, still had uh, Chris Olave, and were completely shut down, essentially, for, for 60 minutes here by what is a very suddenly fun and exciting defense to watch yeah i i think this was this was a really impressive performance like with all the caveats you said dalton missed some throws certainly uh should have been a seven point game at halftime it was not uh thanks to a dalton misfire but you know on, on, for the game the saints go three for 11 on third down um and, and they only have when the ravens go up 27 to 6 the saints are sitting at 150 yards and that's in the fourth quarter. You're going to win a ton of games if you hold a team down to 200 yards. And for the game, 
uh, you know, after some garbage time drives, the Saints only ended up scoring or gaining 243 yards. Season low for them. I, I was just really impressed. I do think, like, those Roquan plays we talked about, I think, helped set the tone on the second drive, dropping them. It was also really uh, pleasing to see, uh, you know, and the Saints have their own problems because he was completely unblocked, but Tyus Bowser creating pressure on the very first third down uh, of the game uh, was really nice to see. And it's, it's just another, as we said, just get adding depth. And Ojabo, they seem to indicate, supposed to come back on the end of the bye. Um, it's really encouraging. Calais Campbell was back in this game after he, you know, was out with an illness last week. Um, and so it just, the depth I think is what really kind of, kind of shined. And I, I mean, obviously the guy we have to highlight is Justin Houston. Cause he's been, he's been a revelation, uh, this season. So he, he has two and a half. He's the first defender in this game. He has two and a half sacks and an interception uh, and he's he's the first Ravens defender to put up that stat line in the history of the franchise. Two and a half sacks and a pick. Uh, and he's the first Ravens uh, defender to, to have two at least two sacks in three straight games. Uh, and he's already up to eight and a half sacks uh, on the season. I saw he, he unlocked like a 500000 or uh, like $250,000, $500,000 in bonuses for like hitting eight sacks <laughs> on the season. So, you know, I don't think uh, we're not the only ones who I don't think expected this out of him. I don't think the team did uh, either. But he's having a fantastic season. And, and I think it was just so encouraging. You know, Tim, you mentioned Patrick Queen. He, he had a fantastic play, uh, just knocking a blocker out of the way to free Justin Houston on one of those sacks. It he, was, he murdered uh, an offensive lineman yeah. to free the sack up. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. And so it was just a really great performance, I think from like every level. And it was just really encouraging after, you know, <laughs> everything we've, we've seen this season, especially how it started in, in particular, that game against the, the, the Dolphins, for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to retread a lot of what Jay said because he makes a lot of good points. I think the depth is, is something, though, that we need to hit on, especially. Remember at the beginning of the season, we're talking about Odafe Owe going to have to be the guy that, that creates pressure, and pretty much him. Now, you know, he hasn't really done that, and he hasn't really shined to the level that you would like. But he doesn't need to because of he can maybe have a bit slower of a development. Now, he still needs to come on. Like, that guy still needs to be terror number one coming off the edge, and he's not there yet. And Justin Houston, you know, is not going to be playing until he's 45. So, like, it needs to happen <laughs> at some point. But the fact that there's less pressure on him, kind of the antithesis of Patrick Queen's career, right? Patrick Queen has been the only linebacker on that team since he came in, and it's very much been a spotlight on him. And he's learned in the spotlight. This kind of takes a back seat. Adafi Owe can figure his stuff out while rotating in with a Jason Pierre-Paul, who left this game injured but should be back after the bye, according to John Harbaugh. <laughs> Deshaun Jackson got hurt too, by the way. We'll get to that. Um, you know, Tyus Bowser, who just came back and, as Jay said, made an impact. David Ajabo, who's going to come in and learn some stuff as well. We talked about Houston already. Those are just the edge rushers. Remember... Beginning of the season, Michael Pierce goes down, and we talk about Travis Jones, who lights up, lights up preseason, and we're like, this is going to be a stud in the middle. We're going to have to, we're going to need him to stop the run. You don't. He can be a rotational piece that rotates in on this defensive line. Justin Matabike, like, I mean, yeah, just go fund me for the Roquan Smith and Justin Matabike jerseys at this point. I am, I'm taking the win, the W on the Matabike train. I know he finished with one tackle and one pass deflection. That's it. The guy just is a creates havoc 
in the middle of the defensive line. Like, if you don't know what to watch on a particular play or you're like, yeah, you know, I want to see what these these morons are talking about on Pod Like a Raven, just watch 92 for an entire defensive series. Just watch him. Don't watch anything else. Watch Matabike. He is constantly getting into the backfield. He is constantly taking up blockers. There was this whole joke on Ravens Twitter that he, you know, he trains with Aaron Donald. So people were like, not really comparing him, but sort of comparing him. It blew up into this thing that, you know, four people pay attention to or what have you. But he kind of has that Aaron Donald build, you know what I mean? Where he looks a little bit smaller, but he's still creating that impact inside. Obviously not comparing the two. Aaron Donald's the greatest defensive lineman of all time or defensive tackle, whatever. The way he impacts games there, Marlon Humphrey had an incredibly strong game as well. Um... Kyle Hamilton should have had a pick. The pass interference call that uh, that took that pick back for Kyle Hamilton was absolute BS. So you feel for the you feel for him. He finished second on the team with six tackles, and he made some plays too. Kyle Hamilton, which was nice to see because it was a guy that you know on this podcast and and elsewhere we were really worried about that pick. And it it seems like he's starting to slowly come on and understand it. And with the understanding of the defense as well, I want to get to Mike McDonald a little bit. I know you have it a bit later later in the rundown, but. We do need to credit the play calling as well. I think the 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 gelling between players, coach, play calling, and execution is all finally starting to meld in a way that makes this defense very you know very formidable defense terrifying. When it's and with the talent that you have there, they're starting to learn how to execute. You talk about the Patrick Queen play, right, Jace? Patrick Queen, his one job was to put his entire body into an offensive lineman and free somebody else up. That's a great play design, and they executed it perfectly. The Marlon Humphrey sack. The Marlon Humphrey sack is a crucial third down. It's it's deep in the territory. It's basically, if they get a first down, they're really close to getting a touchdown, or it's a field goal, and you want if you're bending not breaking at that point, you want to limit them to a field goal. They have Campbell and Matabike on the inside. Cesar Ruiz is the center for the New Orleans Saints. He sees them both, and they both look like they're going to interior rush. So what happens is he's going to pick up one of those guys. The guard is going to pick up the other one of those guys. And then they had either one or two rushers on the outside. So the tackle has to pick up that guy as well. Everybody kind of has to step inside to protect the inside because that's the quickest way to the quarterback, right up the middle. So you want to do everything you can to protect the inside. You step inside, maybe free that up. What does McDonald do? McDonald fakes Matabike and Campbell rushing, and then they drop back in coverage. Because of that, the tackle is already locked up with a pass rusher. The guard is already locked up with somebody. The center can't get out to Marlon Humphrey, who's coming off that left side already, because he can't get there in time. It's simple math. He's in the middle of the line. Marlon Humphrey, outside. Marlon Humphrey, very fast. Cesar Ruiz, not fast. He's not going to get there in time. Cesar Ruiz is sitting there blocking nobody, doing nothing because of the play design. And it's, it's a perfectly executed play, and it's perfectly drawn up. And what it does, it's not just the wink thing, where it's like, uh, well, they got seven, we got ten. Go! And throw them <laughs> at them and see what happens. And Wink is a great defensive coordinator. You know, it's obviously not that simple. But you can dial it up at the right times and what when you dial it up at the right times they don't always expect it when you're playing in a, in a wink martindale defense they know you're coming so they're going to be quick and they're going to get the ball out they don't always know you're coming in a mike mcdonald defense so what does andy dalton do that same play that marlon humphrey play we're talking about he senses there might be a blitz marlon humphrey clearly is kind of coming off the corner a little bit but instead of trying to get the ball out quick 
he also can't get the ball out quick because there's Matabike and Campbell. And by the way, this Ravens defense, and we've seen it, you know, Campbell 6'8", obviously. Matabike is a smaller guy. The pass deflections for this team has gotten this year. They had six last night. They, it just seems like it's one of those things where they've had more than, more than normal. I don't have the stats in front of me. But it's all because they're willing to disrupt. They're willing to execute. And it's just... It's so fun to watch a defense when they can do that. When imagine what like we've we've seen this with the Ravens offenses. When you're it's fun to laugh at the other fans because they can't execute <laughs> because your defense is being so good. And and look, it's Andy Dalton. And, you know, as as friend of the program Garrett Smith uh, said before to Jason and I beforehand, the harbinger of heartbreak, I think is what he called him. <laughs> or the harbinger of sorrow or something like that for Ravens fans. Andy Dalton, obviously. We're not going to bring up all the sorrow, but it's a middling, it's a middling offense, right? And so it's very satisfying to watch the Ravens do their job against a middling offense and just say, you know what? We're better than you. And we know it like Globo Jim and just basically shut them out the entire game. And yeah, eh, I, I could go on and on about the defense. We could just end the podcast here because I could just continue <laughs> to just talk about the defense. We don't need to talk about Lamar Jackson. We do it every week anyway. Uh, yeah, I was I was just so, so impressed. And it's not always going to look like that. This is this is perfect, perfect, well, almost perfect execution. There's some things we could talk about. But I don't think we're going to see this every week, especially against, you know, the better offenses. But this is this is one hell of a foundational piece to build off of. We talked in the offseason with the defense that the secondary that was talented and deep with the addition of Marcus Williams was going to have to cover for the deficiencies and the other aspects of the defense within the linebackers, with the pass rush. Uh, it even became maybe an issue with the interior when Pierce got hurt early in the season. And instead, there's just so much balance everywhere. Uh, Tim spoke about the past deflections. Brent Urban being 6'7", Calais Campbell is 6'9". Um, Jason Pierre-Paul apparently is only 6'5", but his wingspan is 6'9", so <laughs> that helps with the batted balls yeah, in that in that aspect. So they're knocking passes down, as Tim mentioned. They're getting pressure. They're pairing scheme with all this depth and talent, which is making things easier on everybody. And then they added this superstar in the middle. They are going to be formidable defensively. They, I feel like, are tackling better than they have in other seasons. Uh, when that was like the one of the biggest issues that they've had, fewer busted coverages of late, which is nice to see because that seems to be the only thing that can really hurt this defense at this point is communication. And they have two weeks to get players healthier to get Smith really involved in uh, the entire playbook and understanding, and to get Ojabo, add another pass rusher who's going to be the youngest of all the pass rushers at this point on this team. There's a lot to like, uh, defensively, offensively. So it's okay. Uh, no Andrews in this game, no Bateman in this game, and for the rest of the season, no Gus Edwards in this game, no J.K. Dobbins. The line, I think it was two and a half, three when the week started, maybe even three and a half, went down to one and a half by game time because of all the offensive players who were out for the Ravens. So what did they do? They ran the ball 40 times. They averaged 4.7 yards a carry. 
they dominated time of possession, 38 minutes to 22. Now that's due in large part to the defense's performance as well. They were good on third down. Lamar Jackson kept it simple in the passing game, avoided tacklers a lot when necessary, made some nice plays, missed some throws, but they just checked off the exact boxes that they needed based on the skill position players that they had available for this game, and they scored 27 points. They essentially beat the Saints' defense into a pulp with the run game by the fourth quarter and dominated the game. And welcome to 2019, when the offense was this, uh, with better running, healthy running backs, I'll say. Can we just rinse, repeat with this thing, given what the wide receiver group is like? And, I mean, we'll get Andrews back, so that'll be a good thing to have. But can we just do this every week until we're stopped offensively with the run game? Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of has to almost by default sort of be the formula just because because I do think there are clear issues with the pass catching, catching group, especially when Andrews isn't there. Um and he should be back, I think, though I was surprised an injury that was described as not major. Uh, he missed a game after 10 days off, um, so I think it's a little more major than they're letting on. But beyond that, um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I think we've seen in a few games now, this is the formula. And, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue, like, with the results, right? Like, they are, Lamar's line passing's not going to impress anyone really 12 22 133 touchdown but he didn't make mistakes like pretty much every sack that was credited on him he, he was credited with three sacks against but it was for only two yards because he basically was like tackled at the line of scrimmage uh and two of those were on back-to-back plays and a disastrous <laughs> third quarter drive uh where they decided to not run the ball uh, go figure um but yeah i i think you know we've started to see them this kind of stack up like 132 uh, of the Ravens, 188 rushing yards, as you said, uh, Antonio, came in the second half. So they're, they are grinding these teams down. Uh, when they have to put the game away, they're able to run. You know, after ju- uh, they get the deflected ball, Justin Houston interception, it's three straight runs in the end zone, game over, basically, at 27-6. to six. They stop messing around, and uh, they just they get, they capitalize on that chance, and they ice the game. And it was just really encouraging. And, you know... The Lamar, the Lamar thing is I've I've accepted it. I think it's just a thing with him. He's gonna miss these throws, and that's always gonna kind of I think put a natural ceiling um, on how good and dynamic the offense can be. It's frustrating, but Chase, you know. it's not even. I gotta I gotta jump in because it's it's <laughs> driving me crazy. I would accept it if it were just yeah. He really just can't drive into that like 30 yard post route he just can't hit it on the sideline it's not even that anymore it's just yeah his mechanics were he missed a wide open crosser like they weren't tough throws he overthrew uh i'm not sure if it was robinson or likely yeah he overthrew likely that he's made that throw to andrews a thousand times so it's not i i struggle with this that it's not even it's just like that throw's not in his bag and he's never going to have it. It's just the inconsistent mistake that is consistent and that is <laughs> driving me up a wall. If he did yeah. that, 
I mean, I guess if he did that, he'd be a $500 million quarterback, right, which yeah. is which is the one aspect of it. But it is frustrating. I can't, I can't accept it, Jace. You have. I'm well, proud of you. I'm, I'm glad you have. I'm, I'm not there yet. And I'll just jump in on that, Jace, too, because the only point I want to make on that this Lamar topic before you finish your point on this is I'm, I'm more in the Antonio camp, and it's not only just the missed throws. We get down to January. Like, look – Ravens fans. He's not Josh Allen, although Josh Allen in close games, there's a conversation. And he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not. It's fine. He's not. It's okay. It's okay. You're not going to. We're okay. Everything's fine. We've said this. But in those games, in the big games, I'll give him one. But you can't miss two, three, four. And that seems to happen more often than not. And that's what bothers me. And, and, and I, I think, though, incredibly fair points, because to your guys' point, like, when this is the receiver group you're working with, you just need more out of your quarterback. You need him to hit these throws. Like, when this group of guys, who we all admit is not the greatest assemblage of talent uh, ever put at the wide receiver position, when they do get open, when, when, when Demarcus Robinson is streaking open and you do a great scramble move to get away and you're running to your right and he's running right, how do you throw behind him? I don't get it. Like, you just got to hit those and, and and take advantage of those opportunities when presented to him. Because if he hits these throws just more consistently, the Ravens go from, like, this sort of stop-and-start offense they've kind of had been turned into in the last month and a half into, like, probably truly a juggernaut. They'd probably average 30 points a game if Lamar just was locked in more. And, and he was earlier in the season, and now he's not as much. But it's weird because I think the offensive line's gotten way better what do you know with the return of Ronnie Stanley? <laughs> um, so, so it, I don't know. It's just very strange. And I do think it's like the thing that will prevent him from ever being the surefire best quarterback in the league. Cause I don't think there's any denying like, you know, Justin Fields impressive sets a record for yards. Lamar's the best runner in the league, probably any position the way he can just slip through these runs up the middle where he dodges like five guys. It's, it's insane to watch, and he's so special, and I just just would love a little more consistency to get this offense, you know. He could have had 170 yards on top of what he did running the ball, and the Ravens, you know, win 35-6 to six or whatever instead of 27-13. to 13. He was still very impressive, and, and, you know, as I was kind of saying, like, you can't – they go 9 for 15 on third down in this game, uh, and at one point they were 6 for 8, so, like – he, he, and that was a lot of him coming up big in the big moments, either throwing or running the ball. But, yeah, man, I mean, they just need just more consistency from him. That's, like, the, the frustrating thing. It didn't hurt him in this game, but, yeah, I'm with you guys. Like, you need a perfect game, and we saw it not to compare everything to Joe Flacco, but when the Ravens won the Super Bowl in 2012, they needed the perfect game. And what did Joe Flacco do? He had like 12 touchdowns, 11 touchdowns, and never turned the ball over. And basically played four perfect games uh, in a row. We're very close to it. And that's what it takes to win the Super Bowl uh, in this day and age. Especially because uh, you blew all these games in the early part of the season when you built all these double-digit leads and are probably not going to win the one seed. <laughs> so there's that, too. I want to go over a sequence that happened in this game offensively and defensively as another positive that... I'm taking away from this game in particular. The Ravens up 17-6. to Drive well into New Orleans territory in the fourth quarter. 
to have a second and five in the red zone. They're on New Orleans 14, second and five. They're getting five yards a pop at this point on the ground. And they have a delay of game penalty uh, because it seems like Zeitler doesn't quite see Lamar in time to signal to Linderbaum to snap it, or maybe Linderbaum is slow with the snap. There's a delay of game. Lamar, not happy, spikes the ball. They get into the little, you know, shouting match with Ronnie Stanley. Everything's fine. The next play is now second and ten, and the timing of that run play with Kenyon Drake is obviously off. The play clock was low again. Uh, And then the next play, third and 14, uh, Jackson throws a pass to Likely, and it's an ugly drop where he quite literally almost volleyballs it to the Saints for an interception. And it was the ugliest stretch of plays that the Ravens had run offensively. So they have to kick a field goal. They don't get a touchdown. Uh, it's 20-6. to six. It's, it's sort of a missed opportunity to just end the football game. And this would be the opportunity in games that we have seen the Ravens lose or get way too close where, oh, of course, the offense made mistakes, left points on the table. Now the defense is going to respond in kind and just fold like a cheap lawn chair. <laughs> and instead... On the first offensive play for the Saints, the ball's tipped by Big Brent Urban, intercepted by Justin Houston. They're back in the red zone. They take the offense back on the field, run three plays, pound it, score a touchdown, 27-6, game over. And it was really nice to see. The offense struggle, the defense pick them up, and then the offense respond with the pickup to seven points immediately, ending a football game. This team has gotten a 10-point lead in every single game. They're talented. They have leads. They could win every game. They could be 9-0, whatever. This was a very important sort of small series of events with what this defense is now and what we know the offense can be literally on every drive of how to put games away. Uh, I was extremely encouraged by it. I also want to say one more thing and turn to my co-host here because it has to be said, guys. We have... Uh, criticize this man week in, week out, and it's Greg Roman, who essentially called an awesome offensive game. I would say definitely his best game of the year in terms of play calls. Maybe his best game in years, uh, which I guess maybe isn't the biggest positive in and of itself, but he was in complete control of the play calls early, middle, and late, and if Lamar makes two more easy connections, they would have scored 40 points in this game. So I want to give uh, Greg Roman his flowers. Now he's got two weeks to go back into the back into the lab and add less layers to the passing game, but uh, some positives from Greg Roman. Nice to see. Uh, with 10, game, uh, 10 days to prepare for a, a tough matchup. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Jace, go ahead. I was just going to say, their first touchdown was really exciting. The Lamar, the, the, the fake rollout uh, sweep where he then turns and throws it, and of course you have a wide open guy. That was really good. Yeah, the only sequence I really took on bridge with was when they're rolling finally with the run game. Uh, they get the ball back up. I believe it was 17-6, to six, or 17-3, to three, I think. And they immediately went three and out. <laughs> that was annoying <laughs> without a run. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I was impressed with what the uh, on the whole what the offense did. I mean, this double digit lead streak's crazy. They're only the fifth team uh, in the Super Bowl era to take a double digit lead in each of their first uh, nine games, and you know 
every team that's done that has won at least 12 games. <laughs> and the last team to do is the 2011 Packers who went 15 and one. So uh, it's a mark of a good team. And this is a good team. It's just a very frustrating team at times also this season. Yeah, I mean, look, we're this is not just a Greg Roman hate podcast. Like, that's not what we're here for. We I think we, sure, ex- exorbitant sometimes and animated, but hey, we're here to entertain the people. Um, <laughs> I think the criticism that he has gotten from a lot of the fan base, most of the fan base, has been rightly deserved. But then turn it around, and he should also get a ton of praise, just like Mike McDonald for the game the game he called um on monday night i mean Kenyon drake i think a lot of this was Kenyon drake by himself Kenyon drake really was making some guys miss best Kenyon drake we've seen in years frankly even though i know he ran a bunch against the giants but even that game it just seemed like you know he just seemed more spry and lively and like you know quick off the ball what have you and moving around um, 24 carries, 93 yards, and it really just, especially in that second half, it looked like the 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 defense had no answers. I mean, on some of the Lamar runs as well, I remember one Lamar run. It was a boot out to the right side. They were going left to right on our on our screens here, uh, watching on ESPN. Lamar gets the first down on a third down rollout, and number I think it was 93 or maybe 90 for the Saints just threw his hands up and was like. What are we supposed to do about this? And a lot of that is is players, but a lot of it was the play calling as well. So so credit to Greg Roman. Uh, just a couple more touchstones on the offense. I do want to mention this this from Kenyon Drake uh, on Monday or on Tuesday morning. Excuse me. He tweeted, and this just this just warmed my heart so much. He tweeted, watching this organization through my career, they always epitomize toughness and resilience. It was an honor to help keep that standard yesterday, which is something that you just love to see. Uh, and I can verify that. He hasn't paid the eight bucks yet, and it is actually still him on Twitter. So we know this is not a fake <laughs> account, Elon. Uh, this is actually Kenyon Drake tweeting this. Um, I thought Isaiah likely only the one catch, but you know was involved. Could have had another massive catch if Lamar miss if Lamar doesn't miss him. Patrick Ricard continues to do Patrick Ricard things. I'm not gonna sit on this podcast and not highlight the fullback when he plays well. And um, James Prochet, two big catches from James Prochet, and then Deshaun Jackson. Look, we joke about it. He had one catch for 16 yards and one hamstring injury. I know. He's going to be back, (laughs) but he should have had another really good toe-tapping catch on a third down that got called back for a Ravens penalty. Um, So, look, I'm not sitting here saying Deshaun Jackson's the answer. I know he's not, but at least there was some positive contributions uh, from from the 33-year-old as well. But, yeah. Uh, when we go to the offense, all credit to Greg Roman. He called a he called a great game. He stepped on the throat when he needed to step on the throat, and the Ravens got out of there. You know, the easiest victory we've had all season. Like they're just the most maybe week one against the Jets, but even that one, I felt like we were sweating it just a little bit. This one, I, you know, from the word go, it never really felt that bad because of the way they played on both sides of the ball. Well, I will. I will just say the 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 freakout sequence Antonio touched on I, I, that trademark could, pending. That did concern me a little bit because like they were having no clock management issues or very minimal the whole game, and then suddenly you know you're you're up seventeen to six. Uh, <laughs> it's like. You're leading 17 to 6, and then you just have this, like, sequence of panic. Like, they blow a timeout because Harbaugh says, thinks they're not going to get the playoff. They take the delay a game. And, and, you know, that's when Lamar spikes the ball. Him and Roddy Stanley are arguing, which 
you know, I, I didn't know if, uh, what side I felt like I fell on. I, I feel like I tended to lead Ronnie in that situation just because, you know, he doesn't say much of anything. So when he is in an argument, I feel like he, he probably has a point. But, uh, you know, he kind of diffused the situation today because Skip Bayless had a, you know, ridiculous uh, take about later, Lamar Jackson and leadership. And Ronnie Stanley quote tweeted, tweeted it and replied with the Stanley from the office rolling his eyes uh gif so seems like all's kosher there but uh that sequence was just a little it, it worried me a little bit because a team that's up 17 to 6 that has dominated the game should not be panicking in that moment it's it kind of felt like they all just kind of collectively got a little tight because they were like we got to score here we got to get a two touchdown or we got to at least get back to two touchdown lead uh, we can't blow another game. But then, as you said, the defense stepped up, and I was even worried about them at times because, you know, they go up 14-0, and they immediately try to let the Saints score a touchdown right before the half uh, that they would have had if Dalton didn't misfire uh, to a wide-open guy in the end zone. They, uh, they, you know, they give up, they, they let that drive when it's, uh, they go up 17-3, to and it looks like they might give up a touchdown. But then, you know, as we said, brilliant uh, blitz call. Marlon gets the sack. They kick another field goal. So I was a little on edge because I'm like, this two times where they haven't, you know, they, they limited them to field goals, but they hadn't quite slammed the door. But then, as you said, first play, deflection, interception, run it in, offense, you know, whatever issues they had in the last drive, they put to bed. They just took took care of business, game over. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, uh, it was so satisfying that a play where multiple Ravens defenders literally quit on the play didn't really even uh, bother me, even though it could, it could have proven to be an annoying sequence in a closer game. Thankfully, they were up 21 points, so it didn't matter too much. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was that, that's how calm and relaxing I found the, the remainder of this game after they go up 27-6 and how dominating I think it speaks to the Ravens that they had a play like that uh, and it's not all we're talking about. <laughs> Harbaugh had the most diplomatic answer to that play as opposed to any of us who I think would still have blood boiling even the day after the game because it was the most nonsensical play by multiple defenders. Um Jace, the communication stuff, the, you know, panicky stuff, I'm just going to assume, you know, we're, we weren't at the stadium. We were having to watch commercials uh, at every TV break. I'm going to assume that was when the stadium played the, like, most inspirational two-minute, like, we need you fans clip, and it just got louder than it had been <laughs> the entire rest of the game. That's it. That's the only thing it could possibly have been to where all of a sudden their communication was a disaster and they couldn't get plays called in 40 seconds. Um, anything else on this guy on this game, guys, before we turn uh, to what is basically me quizzing you for the next couple of sections? No, it was just nice to not white-knuckle it. Uh, this is week for the first time in a long time. I think that's more than anything probably what feels so encouraging. It's the Ravens largely dominated a game start to finish and kind of left no doubt and uh that's a great feeling when your team can do that and especially on a monday night football game apologies if we missed it already but the touchdown for the saints at the end where peters and chuck clark just like let a guy walk by was the only negative and it's just like and i think jace put it in here in in our rundown here just just play a full 60 like you just can't have even just one like one calamitous f up 
that they just had. And luckily, you know, can you imagine if it was like a seven point game? Like the Ravens would do that uh, and they just kind of let it go. <laughs> that was annoying. Uh, my only other point is, you know, you know, we're recording this on, on Tuesday and there's a lot of because they were the Monday night game, obviously. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, you need to look out for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, have you seen their schedule? They could run the table, and we're coming here uh, mid-December. They, they, this team could be really – we're talking about Bills and Chiefs. Do we need to throw the Ravens in that conversation? That's next on first take. The Ravens are on a bye, and everybody's going to forget about them because it's what happens. Have you heard anything about the Giants this week? The Giants, who were the darling of the NFL for the entire season? Have you heard a word? No, you haven't because they were on a bye week. I am so happy that all this crap is going to die down because the Ravens are on a bye. They're not playing next weekend, or this coming weekend, I should say. And so by the time we get to the Carolina Panthers game, people will be like, oh, yeah, the Ravens should beat the Panthers, but it's not going to be like Super Bowl team? Ravens? Because that's what we're getting after this, you know, spotlight game. And I'm just glad that, you know, like I think Jay said in our pre-show meeting here, three one o'clocks, no prime times, just, just do your thing. Don't let anybody see you do it, and let's just coast that way. Yeah, two weeks to prepare, two weeks to get healthy. If they don't have a trick play in that Panthers game, I'm going to be disappointed because this is the time to uh, to unleash it after some time to really scheme things up. All right, let's turn now to uh, our our quiz our quiz show segment um, ba, ba, because ba, I'm up this week. I'm up this week with the random Raven, and then I have some Harbaugh quotes and uh, got some good ones. This week, or should I say, John had some good ones this past week. <laughs> but let's start with the random Raven. So, this random Raven played college football at Cincinnati and was drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round of the 2016 NFL draft. He played for the Ravens for five seasons, leaving after 2020. Unsurprisingly, this player did not meet expectations. And while he showed flashes on offense and special teams, he never solidified a starting role, only getting five starts in those five seasons. For his Ravens career, he totaled 47 catches, 511 yards, and four touchdowns, and wore a dumb QB number, even though that obviously was not his position. And I brought him up for the Random Raven because he is still active in the NFL, playing for the the notorious Houston Texans. I, that is all I'm going to give you for this point. I got this on the first clue, and I, that does not happen often. So I, I did not meet expectations. So, the, no, no, no. The out of since fourth rounder out of Cincinnati, and I don't. I just remember that for whatever reason. Jace, I might have a bonus to help you if you don't have a name uh, when we yeah, get there. Yeah, I mean this. This is the thing that's so hard with this era of Ravens football is it's 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 the recent past and yet it's so far away for me. I I, I might as well <laughs> I know so much more about the 2006 Ravens than the 2016 Ravens. <laughs> that's because Jace Jace is an NFL scholar, so until the recent past sort of becomes like a solid mm -hmm. period of history. Jace hasn't hasn't really uh, dived <laughs> yeah. in yet. Because I got nothing, but Tim is locked in immediately. So I'll try to think of something. I, I, I got nothing. At the so I have like a bit of a bonus clue for you at the end that might help you. Because 
we laughed at this player pretty recently on this podcast. Like this is a thing that we laughed about uh, when when news broke in a way. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. Okay, it is now time for Harbaugh quotes. Did Harbaugh say it? And I have a bunch of them. I'm not going to read all of them. I'm still going to do three. Two of them Harbaugh actually said, and one of them I made up. But I need to check in with my co-hosts because I want to know sort of how much homework they did over the past week with Harbaugh Harbaugh press conferences. Because he had some golden nuggets uh, over the past 10 days, but I don't want to do the ones that are the most obvious if my co-hosts have been paying attention a little bit to his press conferences. So... Have you guys been sort of uh, paying attention to this or uh, so I will blissfully unaware? I will specifically say that now that we do, did John Harbaugh say this or John Harbaugh quotes or whatever we're calling this segment, I have learned to not look at the quotes and just kind of figure I, out the I love news. It. Because I, I love, love this segment so much that I don't want to ruin it. All I know is that something we didn't really mention. You know, we mentioned Deshaun Jackson should be back after the bye week. We mentioned uh, Jason Pierre-Paul should be back after the bye week. Gus Edwards. Going to be back after the bye week, and maybe Mark Andrews too, because remember, it was just a tweak, just like Rashad Bateman, and then he was out for a game 10 days later, which is super annoying. But Mark Andrews supposed to be back. Gus Edwards absolutely back for the next game. So, I, But but yeah, to, to answer your question, I have not really seen any John Harbaugh quotes. I just like to read the news off of it. Yeah, I, I, I've been, uh, you know, busy with work, the World Series going on, so I feel like I hadn't uh, locked in a ton on what Harbaugh has had to say uh, recently. Okay. Well, you know what? I don't care. I'm giving you guys four. That's fine. <laughs> I'm doing four. Two of them are short. They're too good to not, they're too good to not say. Four quotes this week from John Harbaugh. Three of them are real. One of them is made up. And here we go. John Harbaugh, when asked about Mark Andrews' status for Monday night, all these quotes are going to be from before their uh, New Orleans game, by the way. When asked about Mark Andrews' status for Monday night, John Harbaugh said, Yeah, it's tough with Mark because, you know, he wants to be out there regardless of what he has going on. You know, he wants to give 100%. But we want him to be able to give 110% without risking anything. It's a probability game in that sense. So we'll see where he is later in the week, but it's a maybe for him at this point. (laughs) Quote number two. Strong. John Harbaugh on whether the Ravens will make any trade moves at the deadline. It takes two to tango. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Quote from John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh asked about whether or not Deshaun Jackson would be active for the Saints game. I'll just preface it by saying that he is almost 36 years old, but he's a good-looking 36, I can tell you that. (laughs) He looks great, and I say that from the standpoint of he's running around really well. You guys have seen him at practice. I think he probably feels like he's ready to go, and if he is, he could be out there. (laughs) It's a quote from John Harbaugh. And then the last one, on J.K. Dobbins' surgery. I would characterize J.K. Dobbins' surgery as a smashing success. No additional scar tissue. Those are my four quotes. I know there's a lot there, guys, but which of these three did Harbaugh actually say, or which one stood out as the fake John Harbaugh quote? 
Uh, I almost wonder if the Andrews one, if that's more words than he would say. <laughs> I think I think the Andrews one is fake, and I also think if it is fake, it's a brilliant job by Antonio to make up the word salad that would come out of John Harbaugh's mouth. Yeah. Uh, the I will say, you know, I said that I don't really see anything. I did see on Twitter the second one. It takes two to tango. So I know that. It's too good. I know that it's one's too good. Real. That one's oh, absolutely see, real. I thought that one might be fake. No, that one's real, I know. I'm going to – I think I'm with you, Jace. I think the Mark Andrews one is the fake one. Okay, let's go with that. John Harbaugh, on whether the Ravens will make any moves before the trade deadline, it takes two to tango. We'll see how it all goes. That's a real quote. Tim is correct. Uh, what? <laughs> and then they hadn't done anything yet at that point, and then they got Roquan Smith, like, I feel like 30 minutes after he said that line, so that was pretty good. Uh, next quote that I'll go over on J.K. Dobbins. I would characterize J.K. Dobbins' surgery as a smashing success. It's a real quote that John Harbaugh said. Never heard him say smashing in 12, 15 years with the Ravens. Next quote I'll go over. I'll just preface it by saying that he, just Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson, is almost 36 years old. But he's a good-looking 36, I can tell you that. He looks great, and I say that from the standpoint of he's running around really well. You guys have seen him at practice. I think he probably feels like he's ready to go, and if he is, he could be out there. Only John Harbaugh could say so much while saying nothing at all. That's a real quote, and my co-hosts are on top of it again. I tried to fool them with the Mark Andrews word salad, but that is the (laughs) fake quote. Uh, He didn't do any of the 100%, 110% probability game. I feel like he would say these things. But that oh, is the yeah. fake quote. Well done the, the to my two co-hosts. I, I thought Jackson might be fake because it was so ridiculous what you just said. But they did say, like, I, on the broadcast, I believe it was Lisa Salter was talking about a very similar thing. But it was Deshaun about, saying that. Yeah. yeah. But I wonder if that's also, like, Harbaugh definitely said some version of this exact same thing to them <laughs> in his pre-production meetings, I feel like. Uh, yeah, it, it was... Uh, that was the only inkling of why I thought maybe that might be real. This was like, it, yeah, as Tim said, language like that had been bandied about in the Ravens facility. <laughs> I think he probably feels like he's ready to go. And if he is, he could be out there. So many hypotheticals, so many conditionals boy. in yeah. one sentence. Amazing stuff. Uh and he did play for all of, I think, three series before <laughs> tweaking the old hamstring. That should be fine in two weeks, which is good Good to hear. Um, all right, let's turn now to the NFL. We're going to go over, again, a fun feature that we do now. Saddest team of the week. Jace, I'm, I'm going to let you just uh, just go with this one because you've got all the nominees and then and then the Oscar winner. So please take it away. Yeah, there's an exceptional amount of sad teams in the NFL, I feel like, these days. And I think it's brought about because of we're just in a season of extreme parody. So every week brings someone new experiencing some sort of disaster. Uh, and yeah, we have no shortage uh, of nominees um, this week. And I want to start with a team that is good that I don't think will be in this list a lot. But it's the Buffalo Bills. 
you face plant against the Jets, you potentially seed the road to the number one seed to the Chiefs, and now Josh Allen is dealing with an injury related to what pitchers in baseball have Tommy John surgery on. That doesn't seem good. Um, so not not great vibes in Bills land at the moment. Um, you know, but I also thought, well, maybe the saddest team of the week is the Rams. Uh, you know, they blow it to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, allow yet another Tom Brady last-second comeback, and effectively see their title defense hopes completely crater as they fall to 3-6. and six. Um, But, you know, they're still the defending champs, so that can't make you that sad, right? So then I thought, maybe it was the Packers, because Aaron Rodgers threw three interceptions in the Lions territory against the worst defense in the league as the Packers lose a fifth straight game to also fall to 3-6. and six. And I thought, maybe it's the Packers because it really felt like this might be the beginning of the end for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Um, but no, I think they all come in uh, runner-up, because the saddest team of this, uh, the week, I think, is undeniably the Indianapolis Colts, because uh, they're in trouble this year and far beyond, because the problems with the Indianapolis Colts go straight to the top to owner Jim Ursay, who I don't know what that, you know, there's a lot you can say about Jim Ursay. Uh, but he has been off the rails <laughs> with how he runs this franchise in the past year. Uh, trading, you know, getting Carson once. Now we got to get rid of Carson once immediately. They bring in Matt Ryan. They bench Matt Ryan. They fire the offensive coordinator in the next week. And then this week they fired Frank Reich, who by all accounts is a successful coach with a winning record, who had a different quarterback uh, every week one, all five seasons he was there. Uh, and still p- pumped out a winning record and two playoff appearances. You know, I don't think Frank Reich was perfect. They ha- were a tr- absolutely abominable on Sunday against the Patriots. They lose 26-3 to and go 0-14 for 14 on third uh, down. That's not great. That'll lose you uh, some games. They had, like, their fewest yards uh, in a game since the, the late 90s pre-Pant Manning. Um, so, you know, I-, I get why you part ways with, with Frank Reich. But do you replace him with Gus Bradley, former NFL head coach? Do you replace him with John Fox, 16 years of head coaching experience on a defensive assistant on this Colts staff? They do not. They replace him with Jeff Saturday, uh, ESPN analyst and former Colts player uh, whose only head coaching experience is of the Hebron uh, Christian Academy, uh, Hebron Christian Academy, I guess, uh, in Georgia, um, he went 20 and 16. Just a 500 <laughs> high school team. Yeah, uh, you know, I, <laughs> not what you want. Um, he's the first coach in decades uh, to be elevated in any role, even though it's just technically as an interim for now as head coach. Um, and, you know, it's not a great sign to me when the head coach um, that you are hiring for the rest of the season is – is surprised uh, that he is getting hired. Like, here's what uh, Saturday said um, Monday night at his introductory press conference uh, via Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. I'll be frank, Saturday admitted. I asked Mr. Ursay, tell me why I'm a candidate you would consider in any role to do this. And then he later said, shocked would be an understatement, a big offered head coach of the Colts. Um, And I think this will go very horribly. And I think... It all comes back to Jim Ursay, who is clearly just kind of doing this on a whim because he wants to. Uh, it's a horrible way to r- run a franchise. It's very reminiscent of how his father ran the Colts for decades, uh, a way he has not to this point in his life run the Colts. He's The Colts have been a much more smoother ship uh, under Jim Ursay than they were under Bob Ursay. Um, 
but this is a very weird move, and I think it uh, leads, suggests the Colts are in long-term trouble in the near future. They might not win a game the rest of the season. Maybe that's what they want. But also the long-term future, because you're hiring a coach with basically no coaching experience. Um, and I think Jeff Saturday's a smart guy. It'll work hard, but I just do not get this move. And, uh, you know, it, it suggests the Colts are in a very tumultuous place. They are no longer can be considered a well-run franchise. And I think if you're a Colts fan, the scary thing, I looked this up. I was stunned about this. Jim Irsay is only 63 years old. He is going to own this team for a long time to come. And uh, the decisions do not seem to be sound. Uh, they have been in a tailspin since Andrew Luck retired. And now this is, I think, basically rock bottom for the Colts in the 21st century. Yeah, who knew that a former addict, son of a drunk, um, would be running a team like this? And I hope that they continue to drive that franchise into the ground until it evaporates into dust and all of the records are just <laughs> reverted back to Baltimore where they should be. Screw that franchise, screw their fan base, and everything that they're a part of. I, You know what? I was going to put the Cardinals here, but no. We're just going to dump on the Colts for a second <laughs> because they are screwed for a very, very long time because of this. You couldn't help the Andrew Luck thing, right? Well... I don't know. Maybe you could have. You could have given him an offensive line that didn't mean his head was caved in every single Sunday. That guy was a smart dude. He got out at the right time because he knew he was just taking blow after blow after blow after blow. And he said, enough of this. I'm out. I just want to read you some things from the Jim Irsay press conference, which, by the way, he delayed until about <laughs> 8 o'clock during Monday Night Football. So thinking that people wouldn't, you know, catch what happened because I think Jim forgot that everybody has the internet uh, first of all <laughs> he cited that the Colts are a stable franchise because they've had the fourth best record since he took over in the NFL he also had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck it's like uh, the, they reference this on the Ringer NFL podcast it's like being bored on third base and saying you hit a triple it's ridiculous <laughs> to try and cite that and then the wonderful people from Sports Illustrated just put together this piece and I'm just going to read the five wildest quotes from the Jeff Saturday slash Jim Irsay slash Chris Ballard podcast or uh, press conference. Excuse me. Let's go with number one. This comes from Jim Irsay quote. We were fortunate. He was available. <laughs> the man they hired off an ESPN desk, Jeff Saturday. Oh, he didn't have anything. Going Nothing on. going on. <laughs> quote number two. This comes from Jim Irsay. Uh, Chris Ballard being the GM here in this, in this, if you don't know, Chris Ballard is the GM of the Colts. Quote, this comes from Jim Irsay, though. Quote, it wasn't offered to anyone else. I don't know what Chris and I would have done if he wasn't available. I don't know what we would have done. So you're going to fire your coach and have literally zero contingency plan. Good, 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 good. Quote number three, Jeff Saturday. Quote, why am I a candidate for this? Something that Jace touched on before, but was legitimately said in this press conference. Quote number four. This comes from Chris Ballard, the GM. Y'all been kicking the S out of me for not drafting wideouts, and now we're underperforming on the offensive line. Trying to deflect blame. If you look at every single offensive lineman that has played this year for the Indianapolis Colts, again, the Colts forgot that we all have internet. They were all acquired by Chris Ballard. Every single one of them. And let me read that back, this quote. Y'all been kicking the S out of me for not drafting wideouts, and now we're underperforming on the offensive line. Whose fault is that, Chris? And number five, the one that stole the week and the, the, the day, the night, the event, what have you. This comes, again, from the venerable Jim Ursay. Quote, 
Jeff Saturday doesn't have that fear. We were very fortunate he was available. He has tons of experience. He knows this game inside and out. Citing, he doesn't have the fear of experience of being a head coach. Also referenced in the press conference, he won't use those analytics. He just has experience in his gut. It's a disaster. And you know what, Colts fans? I know some of, for some of you it wasn't your fault, and that's fine. This is just what we call karma. It's what we call karma, and long may it rain, and I hope you suffer for the rest of time. I'm going to start applying for jobs that are so just like editor-in-chief of the New York Times so that in the interview I can say, look, I don't have that fear of all the other serious candidates for this position, so thus I should be editor-in-chief of the New York Times. There's a lot there. Uh, the only, I don't know, not saving grace, but the only minimizer of this is that he's an interim coach. I would predict he coaches this half season like a guy who's never coached anything, and then they move on from him in the offseason. They do an actual normal coaching hire. They say this was a great publicity thing. We love our own, you know, Ring of Honor guys get to coach for two months well but that's the, the weird thing reggie wayne's a coach on the team he's in the cold string of honor he's wasn't ready jace he wasn't ready uh he needs more experience that, that's he's what it is there. they don't have a guy to call plays because they fired the offensive coordinator and then they fired frank reich and reich called the plays and then they fired the offensive coordinator and they uh saturday when they did this press conference still hadn't met his players still hadn't finalized who's going to call plays it just it's a disaster i feel like and i i i I'm with you in the sense that, like, if this is, I think it is a very big brain tanking strategy, it's kind of genius, but my fear is, like, Gus Bradley was also one of, like, the least successful NFL coaches we've ever seen. It's like, the Colts are gonna lose games if they're playing Sam Ellinger, uh, and they don't have an offensive play caller that they, like, it probably will just be Reggie Wayne, I guess, or maybe Jeff Saturday. Like, uh, like... I, I don't know what you do, and my fear, I guess, if you're a Colts fan is, yeah, it's like, if this is just a guy Ursay's wanted for a long time, he offered Saturday a front office position, apparently, like, dec- like a decade ago, basically, and so he just loves Jeff Saturday, and yeah, it, as we said, it just sp- screams of the Colts now being run, much like they were uh, in the true dark days for the Colts. <laughs> and, uh, Good. you know, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to cry about it, but if you're, a fan, if you're a fan of the Colts, oh boy, I think that they're an, uh, an obvious candidate for saddest team. Cause I know, I think suddenly, um, at least in the actual football, uh, side of things, obviously the commanders are in constant turmoil, but, uh, at least in the football side, I think suddenly the Colts are the most tumultuous situation of any NFL team. Yeah, even with this Ravens uh, sort of cupcake schedule for the second half, would have been nice to have a little Colts, little Colts game in there at this point. Uh, Jace, I'm seeing per uh, ESPN, uh, the assistant quarterback coach for the Colts will call the offensive okay. plays. So not <laughs> even the QB coach, the assistant <laughs> QB coach will be calling the plays. That will go swimmingly. Um, but look, I don't need analysis. I don't need information to tell me who the saddest team is. It's actually the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, 
because now that they're five and four, they finally figured out the run game. You know, blah blah blah. Joe Mixon uh, is amazing, so now they're gonna make a run at the AFC North title. They're the saddest team because of the fact that they think they have a chance at the AFC North title, and I'm sure this won't bite me in the butt later <laughs> in the season. But Bengals five and four, Ravens six and three with a bye. I'm I'm uh, obviously very high on this Ravens team at this point. The Bengals schedule for the remainder of the season at 5-4 and four again. At Steelers, who they lost to week one. At Titans. First the Chiefs. First the Browns. At Bucks. At Pats. Versus Bills. Home for the Ravens. Week 17. They could quite literally lose every single one of those games. They're not going to lose every game. But are they going to go 500 at best during that stretch? Yes. This is an 8-9 and nine or a 9-8 nine and eight football team. I don't even think they get a wild card at this point. That is a tough slate. Uh, and yeah, they're the saddest team. I don't care that they just scored 42 points in a football game. They're they're actually the saddest. Yeah, because... they, they were the high-scoring high team of uh, week yeah. 9. <laughs> yes, that's, that's correct. They will be crushed in the second half. Let's be division champs before the Ravens even go to Cincinnati. How about that? That would be so nice. Yeah. Um, all right, with that, let's turn now to our gambling section. No game to preview, because the Ravens are resting. They are vacationing. Marlon Humphrey's probably doing weird things on Instagram uh, with all the time on his hands this week. <laughs> but for the gambling section, we have some picks to give out. I went 2-1-1 one, one last week with a four-pick slate. Uh, won the Ravens game. Won the Seahawks. They've been my like bread and butter this season, the, the Seattle Seahawks, because they keep being undervalued. Uh, and just wait till we get to our, our, our upcoming picks. I lost the Bills pick by a lot of points. I, I had them beating the Jets straight up uh, and covering the spread, which I think was like 11 or 12 points. They lost outright. And then I pushed the Vikings minus three in one of the dumbest football games. I almost wanted to rant about the Washington Commanders because of how annoyed I was that the Vikings only pushed against them with the triple-teamed Heineke touchdown the ref clearing out a Viking secondary, uh, the Viking safety, uh, Heineke throwing up the fingers after the touchdown pass because of how amazing of a throw it was into triple coverage. Uh, I don't like that team, and I know that like 40% of our listener base are Commanders fans, so I, I, I apologize for that, but I'm annoyed by how that push went. But anyway, 2-1-1 one, and one on the week, 17-11 and 11 on the season, people. This week, I got three picks, and I'm bringing back the six-point teaser. I can't quit you, three-team six-point teaser, and I'm including the Seahawks. They are currently two-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Bucks in Europe. Germany? Is that where it is? Munich. Munich, yes. I'm moving that Seahawks line to plus eight-and-a-half against the Bucks. This is either a Seahawks blowout win or the Bucks are going to win in a very, very close game. I'm very confident in those being the two outcomes for this game. So the Seahawks plus eight and a half. I love that very, very much. I'm moving the Giants from six points to even at home against the Houston Texans. And I'm moving the Chiefs line from minus nine and a half to minus three and a half at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I love this three-team teaser. I'm very into it. Seahawks plus eight and a half. Giants even at home. Chiefs minus three and a half even 
excuse me, Chiefs minus three and a half at home to the Jags. And then two other picks, the Cowboys minus five at the Green Bay Packers. It's a lot of points in Lambeau, but I have seen enough from Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay offense. Once that team and that quarterback loses to the Detroit Lions, that that's it to me. The ship has sailed. Uh, the season is not going to be recovered. The Cowboys just came back from putting up, I think, 49 points against the Bears. They are going to score points in this game, and Green Bay will not be able to keep up. I think the Cowboys win this by two touchdowns. I'm taking the minus five at Green Bay. And then my last pick is Dolphins minus three and a half at home against the Browns. I think Jacoby Brissett kind of had his big win already against the Bengals at home. That's over with. This Dolphins team is going to put up points. They're going to put up points in a hurry with the passing game, and I think that's going to nullify the Browns' ground attack and the effectiveness of Nick Chubb. So I'm taking the Dolphins minus three and a half at home against the Cleveland Browns. So I am with you on the Seahawks. Um, very confusing. Uh, I don't. I just don't get why. And I'm just taking this, the Seahawks at, at plus two and a half. But I, I don't, for the life of me, understand why a better team, <laughs> as the Seahawks are, I think have demonstrated this season, are the underdogs in a neutral venue. <laughs> um, it, it does just doesn't add up to me. Um, I'm taking the Titans once again. They helped me to a 2-0-1 week last week because I was also with Antonio on the Vikings, but I had the Titans against the Chiefs. And I am taking Titans minus three at home versus the Broncos and once again banking on hopefully Ryan Tannehill being back for this one that I think would make it a much easier minus three opportunity because I think, you know, no offense to Malik Willis, I think uh, he's proven why Ryan Tannehill is the starting quarterback of the Titans uh, in his um, uh, time in, you know, uh, we, we don't like, you know, NFL world doesn't love quarterbacks like Tannehill because you can always find someone better. But you can definitely find players who are worse than him, too. So, uh, I once again riding with the Titans. I just don't trust the Broncos. Uh, they still can't score. And then, uh, it's not smart. But the Rams have to beat. This is must win. The Rams must beat the Cardinals at home. Minus three. Rams favored. This defending Super Bowl champs. Your season is slipping away. You can't lose. You can't lose to a team as dysfunctional as the Cardinals. This team's arguing with each other on the sidelines all every single week. <laughs> the Cardinals players are getting into it with each other, namely Kyler, uh, with other uh, teammates. Uh, you know, Cod's war zone's almost coming out. Kyler's been grinding. Um, so I, I just I, I like the Rams in this spot. They gotta win. They they, blew, they really blew it. They should have won on Sunday. Uh, they have real problems, but I, I still think they can beat a team that they've historically kind of owned uh, under Sean McVay. First of all, I just got distracted because Antonio made a joke about Marlon Humphrey uh, doing weird things on social media during the bye week. And just like that, poof, coming across my tweet deck, just after you said oh, that, Antonio, oh, not no. two minutes ago, quote, this comes from Marlon Humphrey. Last night taught me I need the wife and kids. <laughs> Seeing Jay Houston get the pick and then walking over and giving the ball to his son was flame emoji, flame emoji, flame emoji. So I know what Marlon's doing in the offseason. Uh, plenty of Ravens fans getting in touch already saying Odell Beckham is your son. And uh, what the one man here at EHMFN on Twitter saying you already have a son and a picture of Jamar Chase. So that's always fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what Marlon's doing. Anyway. I like 
At least Marlon's trying to have kids for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, good, good for him, Marlon. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I lost Saints, Vikings, and Dolphins last week. I did win the Seahawks, and I'm with you there. Team ride on the Seahawks, which means they're going to lose. But I just don't get it. Um, yeah, this is TB12's comeback. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, you know, I don't take back anything I said about the Colts uh, at all. But I'm picking them plus six and a half away to the Raiders. <laughs> The Raider, and this is simply the Raiders should not be favored by six and a half points to anyone. They're they're another nominee with the Cardinals as well. If the Colts weren't so ridiculous, I think the Raiders for me. I called it from the beginning here. I remember doing this preview podcast and laughing at Antonio's Panthers pick and saying the Raiders are not going to be competitive because it's Josh McDaniels. Look, I don't get a lot of stuff right, so the stuff I do get right, I'd like to I like to make people know about it. This is a drive by on yeah, the Panthers. Sorry, about, <laughs> sorry about that. Antonio. I just couldn't believe you believed in Baker. That just it flummoxed me to this day. Uh, yeah, I have Colts plus six and a half away. It's more the Raiders. They should not be favored by a touchdown to, against anybody. I don't care how bad the Colts are. And, hell, maybe this is the one, like, head coach bounce game that they get. Who knows? Doubt it, but who knows? Uh, and then the other one here, kind of the same thing. It's more betting against a team than with a team. Bears minus three at home to the Lions. Justin Fields is legitimately, like, a weapon now, is he a good passing quarterback? Who knows? But he he can do some things, especially on the ground. The Lions just won their Super Bowl. You know, Dan Campbell after the game saying, I'm exhausted. I can't wait to get home, sit on the porch, and drink a beer, man. Like, they're, they're done. That's that was, their, that was their win for the year. That's it. Bears minus three. They're at home in Chicago. The energy around the Bears, even though they keep losing, is positive. Like, they're like, we have the guy. Let's just get Will Anderson for a monster of the midway and then like we're rolling let's go bears um i think they win this game and i you know it's weird to bet on the bears as a favorite but give me bears minus three to the lions that's something about that i like it all right we will be back to address all these picks and why it turns out bavarian hops are very very consequential to the tb12 diet (laughs) and how that leads to him throwing for five touchdowns and we all lose that pick But the last thing to do before we close out here is to go over the random Raven one more time. This random Raven played college football at Cincinnati and was drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round of the 2016 NFL Draft. He played for the Ravens for five seasons, leaving after 2020. Unsurprisingly, this player did not meet expectations, and while he showed flashes on offense and special teams, he never solidified a starting role starting in only five games in five seasons. For his Ravens career, he totaled 47 catches. Five years, he totaled 47 catches, 511 yards, and four touchdowns, and wore a quarterback number, even though that obviously was not his position. Who is this random Raven? Tim was all over it. I mean, Jace, have you thought about it more, or should Tim just go for it here? I think Tim should. I like. I have like a name, but I don't know. We might have done him before. I don't think he went to Cincinnati. The name Michael Campanero came into my brain, but I don't think I don't even know if the arrow went to Wake up, Forest. But... Went to Wake Forest. Legendary uh, Maryland, Maryland high school, Maryland high school uh, product. Remember, so Jace. Let me see if this this jogs your memory. Last off season, not the one before this season, but last off season, when David Cully, remember him, got the job with Houston. <laughs> This man followed David Cauley to Houston and was one of Houston's many free agents. Like, Houston signed a lot of guys that was just clear that they were just tanking. They just signed a bunch of dudes that were like, why are you signing this guy? He was one of these guys, and we laughed about it. 
So is this like Seth Roberts? No. Is that? It is... Oh, okay. Wow. Cl- Close-ish, but worse. This <laughs> this is Chris Moore. Wow. It is Chris Moore. Uh, I want to say starting wide receiver for the Houston Texans. He's not. He started two games for them this season. That's what um, threw me. Like I yeah. had no recollection of him being there that long. <laughs> He was on the Ravens for five seasons. He's been on Houston for two seasons. And in, let me do the math on this. In 19 games for the Texans, he has 35 receptions. And in five years with the Ravens, he had 47 receptions. So that's where we're at. Another failed wide receiver draft pick by the Ravens. Uh, I hate it. I hate it. I just want one. Just one who we can draft and have a successful oh. career and tenure in Baltimore. That's but that is the thing. Random Raven. Excellent the... job by Tim there. That's just the thing with this Bateman thing. It's like, <laughs> he looked like the guy, Antonio, and now he's injured. He has, he officially has the, the label injury riddled. He misses half his rookie year. He misses, like, all but four games, basically, this season, and... Now and then when playing offers offers up all these nice plays and broken tackles and shiftiness and good hands for the most part. It's frustrating, but <laughs> everything else is going okay in Baltimore, <laughs> so we have to take our, our positives as we can get them. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us this week on Pod Like a Raven. We will be back next week to preview the Ravens coming off of the bye and facing the Carolina Panthers at home. We're excited about the second half for this team as they make a push for the playoffs. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will see you next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.